Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hello, I'm Sally Mercedes. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I want to talk about some of my favorite books. Um, Graphic memoirs get a lot of love. Books like Persepolis and Fun Home. It's definitely well-deserved. These are fantastic books and some of my all-time favorites. And there are other great nonfiction graphic novels out there that deserve love too, and I don't hear them talked about as much. Over the last year or so, I've been really vibing with reading nonfiction in graphic novel format. There's something about the format that really works for me. It's easier for me to digest, especially for tougher topics like racism and oppression. It prompts me to slow down and really take in what I'm reading. And I think it just makes me a better reader and a more well-rounded reader. So I'm excited to share some of these books with you. First up, we have Brazen. Rebel Ladies Who Rocked the World by Penelope Bajou. These are short profiles on about 30 badass women across time, like Josephine Baker, the Mirabal sisters from the Dominican Republic. And it's not just big names. It's also women who made a big impact in their local communities, which I really love. This was such a good reading experience for me. What I would do is that every night for a couple of weeks, I would read two or maybe three of the profiles and it was such a great way to go to sleep. I I'm I just I don't know. There was something about it that really made me feel more connected to myself and to all these amazing women. So it was really a delight. It is technically YA, um, so it's a very approachable format. Um, but I definitely recommend it for any age. Next up we have Wake, the Hidden History of Women Led Slave Revolts by Dr. Rebecca Hall, illustrated by Hugo Martinez. This is one of my favorite books this year. I was blown away. It chronicles Dr. Hall's journey in researching women-led slave revolts, as the title says. It's simultaneously an attempt at imagining and recreating these historical events, and also clearly showing the impact that they still have today in Dr. Hall's own life and in society at large. It's illuminating. The illustrations themselves are deeply impactful and moving. I cried, um, <laughs> which I don't know. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's common, like in my experience. So maybe you won't cry, but I certainly did. I was I was deeply moved. I would say out of all of the graphic novels that I'm mentioning today, this one was the one where the illustrations themselves really spoke to me, uh, independent of the story that was being told through text. Next, we have Feelings, A Story in Seasons by Manjit Thap. This is a really cool concept. It explores how our moods and emotions flow throughout the seasons. This is pretty light on text and heavy on illustration. The author is an illustrator. And it's tough to explain even what this book is, (laughs) but it's visually stunning. It's classified as a memoir in some places, but it isn't really a memoir. I found it more of an invitation to examine and accept our emotions and how our energy fluctuates within our own personal internal seasons and then how that's reflected in those around us and in the, the like physical 
season itself that's out there in the world outside of us. And next is my latest read, which is Seek You, A Journey Through American Loneliness by Kristen Radke. I'm about halfway through this book, so it feels a little strange to include it, but it's already been such an amazing reading experience. I am learning so much from this book about myself and about humanity and even animals and our need for connection, our our need to be part of the tribe and how that might impact us when we're not feeling that way. It's a deep dive into loneliness, the physical and psychological toll it has on us, the parts of society that can worsen it. I would say it actually pairs really well with feelings, a story in seasons, just because I felt really connected to myself and to my loved ones and to complete strangers through both of these books. I think that they both take such a really interesting and clear, maybe like visceral look at these feelings that we have that maybe we can't always explain or maybe we're too afraid to admit out loud we're having. <laughs> so yeah, it was, these are both just really good. I mean, all of these are fantastic, but CQ in particular, like if it's not one of my favorite books of the year, I will be really surprised. And I did, because I have a couple more minutes here, I did want to cheat a little and mention Displacement by Kiku Hughes. This is technically fiction. <laughs> it's about a teen girl who gets sent back in time to a Japanese internment camp during World War II. So, you know, we don't have time travel, and Kiku herself did not have this experience. But the book is based on the author's family and her grandmother's experience in the internment camps, and it just feels so real. It's It feels intimate. It explores themes of legacy and generational trauma and memory, and it's just a really beautiful story. So, you know, with that little cheat aside, I just really hope that y'all will pick up some of these books and let me know what you think. Do you love them as much as I do? Are you as blown away by, like, how much story and meaning you can get out of a nonfiction graphic novel? This is definitely a trend that I hope keeps growing because I cannot get enough. I welcome any and all recommendations. I mean, at this point, I've sought these out that I have a really big list. (laughs) But like, I don't know, maybe for the rest of the year, this is all that I'm going to read and I'll be fine with that. So please share, share all your recs with me. You can get in touch with me on Twitter or Instagram at Sally Simply and let me know. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope you have a great reading life. Hi friends, we've been asked before if we have a Patreon and we don't, not technically. But if you're looking to support us in that way, we do have a virtual community that's only $12 a month. You'll get access to book discussions, author chats, workshops, exclusive newsletters, blog posts, videos, and more. Connect with the feminist readers near you or just make new internet friends. There's even an app to make the experience as fun and convenient as possible. Head to feministbookclub.com slash join and select virtual membership or find a link in our show notes. We can't wait to meet you. Hello, hello, friends. I'm Ra, and today I am joined with Annie Karabin-Schmidt. 
Welcome to the podcast, Annie. Well, thank you so much for having me. So excited. So we originally had this interview scheduled about a month ago to talk about your recently released book, Fred, an Unbecoming Woman. But now you're one of our contributors. How does that feel? I feel, how did you do that? How did I do what? You me right up. You really brought me in. You guys <laughs> sent one email and all of a sudden I'm working with you and it's, I'm very excited. Um, but it happened so fast. <laughs> you just emailed at the right time. It was, I know, I really did. It was fate. And uh, the moment that you asked, I was like, mm, I think I like this person. Yeah. Renee. I think we have to bring this person on. So uh, I'm very excited about that. But we should definitely talk about Fred first, since that's what we're here to do. Can you tell right. us a little bit about it? It's your personal memoir. so It is. It is a personal memoir. It does have some theory related components to it. And I'm always going to be caught in between being like, am I a theorist? Am I a storyteller? Answer is you don't have to choose. You can always be both. And I think that it is very much a victory to be able to say like, this isn't really something that's either memoir or theory. Um, and in fact, to call a memoir, not theory is uh, a little bit undermining if you think about it, like to mm -hmm. not take memoirs as, as face value theories about social experiences. I have a lot of feelings about first person narratives and how powerful they are and how underrated they are and how often they get overlooked and dismissed. And so for me, I'm like taking this project and book really seriously. And I mean, trying to remind myself to take it seriously as a valuable piece of social writing that, you know, I didn't go get a PhD for it, but it certainly is informed by my experiences. And I do have to trust that I'm, I'm very informed on many of these topics that come up in the book. And I'm, I have done research and I've experienced and I've talked to enough people to know that I deserve to have a platform for it. And I deserve to talk about it as if I am the expert on my own experience. So I have a lot of thoughts about the, the fluidity of, of theory and memoir and auto theory, which is, I hate that I used that word so thoroughly, but it really does feel like the only word I can use to describe the fact that I want to be taken seriously in my stories and I want people to listen to it and be like, oh, this is something I should think about as I interact with folks who are queer, women, AFAB, not women, womanish, queer again. I'm listening to a lot of just personal qualities of mine, but <laughs> I have a lot to say about uh, womanhood in the book, obviously, yeah. even if I somehow have a complication, not somehow, sometimes have a complicated relationship with it. So, I mean, gender is definitely not like linear mm -hmm. it's definitely like the journeys kind of yeah, exactly. up and exactly. down yeah and I know like I'm also on that journey I know many of other people are on that journey yes I think we have each other and absolutely memoirs like this because definitely when I was reading it I I f found myself very connected to it in certain spaces that I personally have been in and there's one essay that I want to <laughs> I want to point out, um, and it has nothing to do with about like your gender identity, but more so like your personal identity. And right. it was just about bodies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like I was reading and I was like, oh, are we allowed to talk about this? Right. Because right. like as someone who is has struggled with eating disorders in the past, uh, it feels like something I can't talk about because of like my body type. And um, yeah. yeah, so reading it, I felt very happy that you like made me like mentions of shrill and um, what we don't talk about when we talk about fat. Yes. Yeah. And um, just your statement about how like you're probably not the right person to listen to on fat phobia. But yeah. 
our experiences are important in that. Um, but what made you really want to write that essay and include that in the book? If it's okay for me to ask. No, I'm actually, <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about it without taking up too much airspace about it because oh, yeah, I'm very fair. cognizant of like, okay, I'm not the person who should be, should be the authority on, on fat phobia. So like we already mentioned Lindy West, Audrey Gordon, the, um, these are people, I'm sorry. I just realized that I don't know if it's Audrey or Aubrey at this exact moment. Um, and I really need to get that right. It's Aubrey. That's okay. That's my instinct was telling me that Aubrey Gordon wrote this amazing book. What we don't talk about when we talk about fat and it's about her experiences as a fat woman. And she had this Instagram account, anonymous Instagram account where she talked about her experiences. And she's really, I think been a, a thought leader on the internet. And I, but I didn't start there. I obviously started a long time ago, struggling with my own body dysmorphia. And I think that the real kicker for me, which is why this essay, like why the, the concept of it kind of stuck in my, in my craw for a long time, obviously like the inciting incident of breaking my leg and being like, mm-hmm. I need to be immobile if I'm going to be as skinny as my sister. Like that was for sure a fun narrative device that happened in my life to be like, isn't that ironic? And I think ironic irony is a really, really great place to start when you're trying to think about what to write into because it inherently has a conflict in it that we're conscious of. So when you become aware of an irony, I think it's so ripe to investigate because what it is is a duality existing at once and we need to investigate and, and approach it with curiosity. So I think experiencing the irony of like having inner thigh clearance um, and the essay is called ITC, which stands for inner thigh clearance. The irony of experiencing inner thigh clearance while also not having the full bodily integrity of being able to walk was certainly something that I was like, interesting. Like you got what you mm-hmm. wanted, but you also lost a lot. And therefore, what are we investigating? That was clearly the inciting incident. But I think what was actually the piece that I wanted to talk about was noticing that even when I felt like I had achieved my body goals in quotes, I didn't feel confident. Even when I felt like I was quote thin, I didn't feel beautiful. And when I noticed those things and was kind of mulling them over and over and over again, I realized that the issue is not at all with my visual. The issue is so much more about how we view ourselves and how we can, how we can make sense of ourselves. And currently I'm dealing, I'm trying to write about this for my next workshop piece that I'm working on in a gender sense, because I am struggling with my more like gender dysphoria and I'm not struggling. I'm journeying through it in an exploratory way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it is one of those things where coinciding with some quarantine weight gain, I have now have boobs for the first time in my life. And I'm like, what <laughs> is going on? And um, so it's kind of this exploration of gender of, of gender and bodies at the same time where I'm suddenly like, I'm also 28, almost, you know, I'm approaching my maternal ages and I'm just like a very aware of my, of my bodily gender at this time. Sorry, my sexual, my, um, my biological sex, I should say, rather than my gender, because I do identify as non-binary. So, but I'm very aware of the pieces of my body now. And so I don't know, it's just a very writing is that thing that allows you to explore things and make sense of things. And I'm really grateful. And I just, I wanted to write that piece and I want to eventually write this piece about gender because when I realized that it was not about me being beautiful or feeling beautiful and that actually it was about this bigger voice that was going on in all of our heads, I realized that that voice was given way too much power and that voice was causing us to ostracize other people, to alien other people, to 
cause serious health and harm issues um, mm-hmm. against people of all sizes, but mostly fat people who are discriminated against a great deal in our medical system and experience horrible like maternal health issues. And obesity is something that's been kind of constructed, but the health issues that could be cured and, and helped were doctors to make a lot of more space for people of all sizes. Um, So the health issues that actually could be salvaged if we did not just immediately dismiss everything as a quote, obesity issue. So I wanted to write it because I knew so many people just based on my social world. I know more people who identify with me as a straight sized person who still struggle with body image. Um, I know so many people that I knew that I was talking to that group when I wrote this book and I just knew because, you know, it's an indie book. I knew that most of my readers would be people that I know. Therefore I can be confident that I'm communicating to these people. And I wanted to say to them, you know, I am just like you, I'm in this position, but we are not being helped or saved by this fitness motif. We're not being helped by this and I'm not being helped. Here's my experience. I doubt you're being helped. Here's probably something you relate to. If we're going to tackle the issue of fat phobia at large, I think people really need to take a good hard look at where they stand on it. And that's mm-hmm. why I was really committed to writing it anyway. Um, and if I had a bigger platform in my life, I think I would maybe defer a little more, but I just assume that there's a hundred readers for this book and there are 98% people I grew up with. And um, like, I want to, to tell them why the ways they're experiencing there as Gian Tolentino would say, like they're optimizing they're, they're hurting themselves and they're hurting other people. And so we need to like look inward and care about the outward. But my, my effort was to start getting people right where they are. Mm -hmm. So it's a very complicated answer. And it's a very complicated piece for me because of what you already stated, which is that I don't want to be the, the mouthpiece for this, but I did feel like I was comfortable talking about it and being vulnerable about it. And I wanted to kind of hit people where they are not hit, but tap people where they are and be like, Hey, you probably are experiencing this. And it doesn't get better if we do this, it gets worse. So let's, let's find what better actually looks like. Well, you did hit somebody that you didn't (laughs) grow up with and that you you. haven't met until today. Um, so did, I did have one random question and I, and I'm excited to hear about this gender piece that you said that you're working on your pronouns. Yes. What are they? Thank you for asking another complicated question that you probably didn't expect to be complicated. But um, in the wise words of Jack Halberstam, who is a gender scholar at Columbia, the pronoun thing is a lot less important to me. And it's not to say that it's not important to other people. It is very important. People's pronouns are their pronouns. We use them and we see their humanity. Mm -hmm. For me, when I'm in a room with people I don't know very well nowadays, I like to introduce myself with they, them pronouns. And I prefer Mm -hmm. that people use them because- I think that it introduces a nuance and an identity complexity that would take a little bit more time to get to know in me than simply than she, her would allow. So, and if I say she, her, and they, them, people tend to just use she, her, and then forget about that um, they, them piece. So when I'm in a group of people who really have never met before writing workshop, especially when it feels like a good space, just for right now, because I'm feeling a little bit tender about it. And I think whether they gain confidence, I'd like to move forward and really be more confident for the sake of the whole gender spectrum and our experience as a community. I, I like just people to know that there's that, that I'm on the gender queer spectrum. I just need to be acknowledged in that way. I need to be seen in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so my pronouns to you are probably going to be fluctuating as we work together more and more, but I, yeah, 
certainly know that having this conversation is a really good place for us to start because no matter what you end up calling me, I think seeing that I am on the the genderqueer non-binary spectrum or, you know, metaverse of, of identities that is not really linear at all, I'm I'm okay with whatever it is. Like I, I'll tell mm-hmm. you when I'm when I'm like ah, that makes me uncomfortable. But for right now, just having space for the questioning is what I need from people. So um, however I feel that can work for me, whether it's putting my pronouns in my introduction, immediately saying these are my pronouns, or having a 10-minute conversation within two minutes of meeting someone being like, well, let me tell you a little bit about my gender identity. <laughs> um, I think that's the most important thing for me is just like allowing the space for that complexity. And I just like don't want to be immediately grouped in as someone who's purely a woman never ladies at once like that's what jack halberstam says is like never call me ladies um in a group but i definitely want to make room for the fact that i'm experiencing something slightly different than than women are in general um and and cis women are in general so it's complicated but it's also fluid and it's also like i really think what it comes down to for me is what is the way that i can feel most seen what is the way that i feel like i'm not hiding and whatever feels comfortable in that space for me is what I'm going to try and advocate for, for myself. That's perfect. Like, and you <laughs> are in the perfect space for it. Like mm-hmm. I felt so lucky to be working with feminist book club just because I was able to explore like my own gender identity more and kind of yeah move forward and um, yeah. also feel very supported by the people that I'm surrounded by, which yeah, is and I- lovely. <laughs> And I'm also, you know, I spent the last couple of years kind of working in a vacuum, working to finish this book. And so mm-hmm. to I'm I'm like threw myself into things just now being like, you got to get yourself a community, many communities as you can through writing workshops and now being a new contributor to FBC. Like I am very grateful when I get to talk with people who are really like radically feminist, people who are writers. There's something about them for me that really interlock. Mm hmm. And that could just be like a me thing, but I feel very, um, the intersection of queerness and artistry is always something that I really value as like queerness as a form of making art out of life and, and art as a form of expressing queerness. So for me, they're very connected and those spaces always feel really, really grounding for me. So I'm really glad to come out of my solo book journey and come into spaces where the identity pieces and the community pieces are really strong. Yeah. Yes. So speaking of being in a vacuum of your own people, let's yeah. talk about Radical Queer Dinner Party. <laughs> right. That was, uh, it was self-published. Your book yep. was self-published it's by Radical secret, Queer Dinner secret, Party. The secret surprise is that I'm the Radical Queer Dinner Party. Um, <laughs> what's more radical There's than no that, other you know, dinner table. party? <laughs> <laughs> I would like it to be a bigger party, but for now, it's, it's just me. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk about it. What would you like to know? What is it? Like, it's, what it's is just it? you. Like, I went to the website and I was like, I see some it's people broken. that have been interviewed <laughs> and I, there's a play button that doesn't really take me anywhere. Mm. Mm. Um, okay, these are, these I, are good notes. Good notes. <laughs> then I saw like the Indiegogo that's connected, uh, which had your book and just an adorable video mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. that made me laugh so hard. Um, Thank you. And, and Renee, uh, the founder laugh so hard. So I think that's what really sealed the deal for you. <laughs> oh, thank um, yeah. So I, I want to also give credit that it, it was a um, mostly mutual brain party, a brain kind of 
inspiration from two of my friends who I met working a while ago, uh, Miranda Rosenblum, whose pronouns are they, them, and Anna Burns, whose pronouns are she, they. Um, we were working together and being like, we're going to set this place on fire. And so <laughs> like we just started thinking about the things that, and I think all of us are kind of drawn to media, whether we have a specific writing relationship or not. I'm trying to get them both to be creators um, however I can. I'll We'll talk about that later, but <laughs> just the idea that discussion and community are really ways of not overlooking the important things. Like for, for many people, the PC culture is just PC culture. But when you have a dinner party full of people who are able to explain themselves and be like, this is why this is so important, just like I just did with you, with my pronouns. Um, mm-hmm. When you really see someone, and for me, that's very much through art and narrative and storytelling suddenly you're expanding your vision of humanity and suddenly you care and you're able to create space for the justice that needs to be present in our interactions. So I love, and also the the double entendre of it being party in like a political sense feels really good to me. And like that, it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where it all goes, but for the time being, it was the idea was that there's, it's going to work in media. It's going to work as a way of bringing storytellers together I have, um, as a, as a little tiny ship in the sea, I'm, I have more big, big picture visions for it that I need to kind of like maybe quiet for just a minute, just so I can focus on what to do tomorrow. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think my next steps that I'm really trying to work on will be to establish a medium page where I can support people as in loaning my editing skills. Um, because I know that's something that I'm good at and I can offer as a service. Um, and I'd really like to invite queer people to write. I, as you know, from being on more of an administrative end of a uh, feminist book club, I'm sure everything that seems really straightforward is a lot more complicated than, than it is in the business world mm-hmm. and the startup world and the entrepreneur world. So I need a little bit of patience as I work through how this is going to work, but I really am interested in, in broadcasting queer stories in a, and in my opinion, the pipeline in art one of the places that it's really clogged is that we talk about, uh, someone recently told me that writing and art, but mostly writing was the context of the conversation. And I don't remember if they made it about art in general, but like, it's kind of a profession of attrition, they said, where yes, it's about who can endure the longest and who can stick around the longest. And then of course, there's going to be a lot of specific factors that influence how long someone can stay in the game that's a lot of external support. It's a lot of community support. And so I'm really passionate about trying to make sure that there are every writer, every artist, but let's talk about writing because we're talking about book clubs, has a voice in their head that tells them to stop writing. Everyone has it. And for some people, it's a tiny little gnat. For some people, it is years and years of being told that your story doesn't matter um, Mm -hmm. or that you, your identity doesn't matter or is not important enough to like establish or it's annoying to hear about because it makes your day inconvenient you know uh, some of those voices and those inner critics that we all talk about as writers are louder for some people and so the importance of focusing resources and support on a particular group like the queer um, community is because for us that that voice to stop and turn back is so so loud for so many reasons so I'd like to like just channel as much energy as I can into that spot and I, that's what I'd like to do with the press is, you know, if it's a literary mag for at first, I'd love to read manuscripts and I'd love to read manuscripts. Go ahead and say that twice, but I'd like to read and evaluate them and then be like, how can I connect you with an editor, which was Mm -hmm. now to segue into something really positive and less future tripping for the press is that 
I was able to hire an all queer team for this book. And so I was able to truly keep the resources of writing and keep the hiring and keep the whole employment of this book in the hands of queer people, which I thought was really special to me, not only for me as a writer who really needed someone to emotionally understand my journey, but also for the sake of hiring talent and making sure that queer editors were getting paid for this work. So I'm super excited about how this single project turned out. And I'm very, I'm very excited to see what happens next. I just, as you know, it's a very long journey and I don't know what the digestible steps are yet, but I am dedicated to finding that out. And as soon as I do, or even now, if people are, you know, out there and trying to get in touch, find me. Um, I'm on Instagram at krabbypatty415. And if you're like, I really want to write this book and I need support, I'd like to support. And whether that means with my time connecting you with editors or like helping publish as the RQDP book logo, that's something that I'd like to do. So if you're out there listening and you're, um, I mean, not even if you're queer in sexuality, queer is what you fight for and what you are advocating for. I think that was a bell hooks quote that she discusses that I am open to it and I want to work with you and I want to support you because I received a lot of support and I have a lot of mentorship and I have access to institutional resources and financial resources that I know other people may not have as readily. And I would like to do what I can to like even that playing field a lot more. So yeah, reach out. And I would like to work with you if you're an artist out there. So that's my subtle pitch, but (laughs) that's amazing. And yeah, I feel like sometimes it's just really hard to know where to go and knowing like (laughs) if there's one person who's willing to connect you or kind of be like, right. oh, like this might be your next step. Right. That's always so helpful. So we're starting to run short on time and I really want to play my dumb little game because I want to play never been able. Game. Thank you. Um, yeah. Cause no one ever really wants to play with me except for my other queer friends that I sit with in person, but I'm like, no, I want to do this on the air. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the game it. is gender or not gender. And It's the game I play in my head when I'm like walking around and I'm seeing situations, I'm seeing items and I'm like, okay, yep. Gender of the day or Mm, nope, mm -hmm. that is not my gender. So I just wrote up a list of random things that I was like, hmm, gender or not gender when I saw them or when I thought of them. Okay. All right. Are you ready? I wish I had sound effects. Can I ask you, you, is it, um, is it my gender or not my gender or is it just, does gender have anything to do with this or does gender not have anything to do with this? I don't think there's any wrong or right answers. Um, if you want to explain, you can go ahead and explain. It's just a dumb, silly game. (laughs) All right. Ready. We should, we should all be taking silliness a lot more seriously, just so you know, but I really need it today. And (laughs) if, if if ever there was a day where we needed it today is the day. Yeah. And if, uh, this is going to be aired on a later date, but like, for those of y'all listening, like SCOTUS just really messed some things up and we're all upset. We're all upset. So we're playing a silly little game to get over it right now. Okay. Let's go. I'm ready. Wet noodle. Gender. Sleepy cowboy. The, the, a defenseless, uh, uh, man figure. I feel like there's, I mean, I'm just going to say gender for all of these, but gender. Brave armadillo. Not gender. Green skittle. Gender. Green M M&M. and M. Not gender. To me, those would be switched around. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> Wax fruit bowl. Not gender. Wild uncle. Not gender. Roger from that one Doug funny show. Sure, gender. <laughs> That's. Did you watch that show? Nope. But I nope. just I'm going with my gut. 
He's a green guy that wears a leather jacket and has orange Gender. hair. Yeah, Gender. he's a bully. <laughs> Bullies. I mean, we got to talk about them. Yeah. A slice of tomato that has been sitting in the sun. Not gender. And uh, this is the one that I thought of like five minutes ago. A box fan that has been running for all of July. <laughs> gender and it is it is the work of women everywhere. As someone who doesn't identify as a woman, I just know. <laughs> I was like, I was identifying with the fan today. So I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah, um, that reminds me not to plug books, but that reminds me of a book called Who Cooked Adam Smith's Dinner by Katrine Marsal. It's about um, domestic economy and how we overlook the labor that happens in the home. And so that's what that fan reminds me of. Annie, this is a book podcast. I know. That's why books. I'm like, oh yeah, I can plug books. Yeah, you can plug um, as many books as you want. <laughs> I, I host, uh, I co-host a Steven Universe podcast and every week I'm like, not to give, not to, I have a dog here and um, I thought he was going to be quiet this whole time because he was doing he did so good right until just now. And we're almost done, but uh, I do yeah. love, I love giving homework. And I recently was at a book talk in Los Angeles doing reading Fred. And they said the person at who was a clerk at the store was like, are you a librarian? Because you make a lot of library like references and a lot of book references. And I was like, this is, I've never been more flattered in my entire life. I'm not, but um I would like to bring them on as again as a podcast guest and talk about queerness and librarians and the archive. I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think you I'll should be, do that. I'll be so. That. Uh, coming up next, I, <laughs> coming up next, coming up next. This is what yeah. you can expect from Annie. Right. Um, yeah, and I think that's it. That's all I got uh, for gender, not gender, and I think it's time for us to wrap up. It feels so sad to, to leave so soon, but luckily we have many, uh, many collaborations ahead of us. Yes. Yes. And you've already told everyone where they can find you. So we don't need to worry about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, is there any other ways that if people want to connect with you, that they should reach out or find you um, or look for things that you want to plug? I think that Instagram is so far like my main channel as much as I hate that. Um, but I will mm-hmm. give an email in case people are listening and have like really prefer email form, which I absolutely relate to. So my email is a Krabbenschmidt. That's A-K-R-A-B-B-E-N-S-C-H-M-I-D-T at gmail.com. Um, I'd love to hear from anyone who's a writer and is, I literally send so many emails into the void being like, hello, you, like, I think we're going through something similar and I don't need you to respond, but I just need to write to you. So um, I love receiving and sending emails. I'm a huge email person. That's a, a gender. I'm going to say in, in the game of gender versus not gender, that's gender. Email person. Email person. Okay. That, yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again so much, Annie. I'm so excited to hear all the other things that you're going to bring to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Um, If you have any other topics that you would like to see covered on Feminist Book Club, the podcast, make sure to leave a message in the comments or shoot us a DM at your Feminist Book Club on Instagram. Thanks, friends. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for Brownie Points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. 
Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. Well, that woman is a dangerous creature, creature. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.